Hey, Heal community, welcome to season six. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you're back for more, thank you for continuing to support this project and being a part of it. If you're not yet a member of my email list, go to sarahmarshallnd.com to register. That will continue to be the hub of all new releases of podcasts, articles, and updates. As this project goes into its third year this June, I'm building a team to expand into more ways to support you on your healing journey, and my email list is the best way to do that. Go to my website, sarahmarshallnd.com to sign up. Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Dr. Renee Wellenstein, self-proclaimed libidoologist, shares her story of how healing her own hormone balance led to her breaking free of conventional women's health to practice functional medicine. We talk intuition, healing medicine, and how to unlock your suppressed libido. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Okay, here we are yet again, another episode of Heal. And this week we have a super special guest. I'm super excited about Dr. Renee Wellenstein. It's an OBGYN. You've been working in healthcare 20 years, 20 plus years, 20 plus. Yeah. Awesome. And you've come to the light side. I say lovingly, I love all of my medical doctors on all places. We all have our roles to play, but you recently have stepped into the world of functional medicine and that came from your own health experience too, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I would never have gotten into functional medicine if it weren't for my own personal health struggles. So, and I think that's true of many of my physician friends. It's like, we don't even know this whole amazing world of functional medicine exists until you're searching for answers yourself and you're not getting them and you have to go digging. And then of course, uproot this amazing world. So yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what it was like for you to kind of cross the paradigm chasm and then get into some specifics. And one of the things that stood out to me that I'm really excited is you call yourself the libidoologist. That's awesome. (laughs) It's a totally made up name. I actually have a good friend who's also natural path up in Canada. And we were brainstorming once and she's like, you study the libido, you're the libidoologist and it's stuck. And so, yeah, it's my trademark name now. And that's who I am. And you know, honestly, the libido is something, especially in women that has to be constantly studied. And, you know, because there's not a lot of studies out there saying, okay, woman, low libido, do this, do that. You know, you have to really thumb through the literature and all the underlying root causes and really figure out and piece it together like a puzzle Yeah, and uh, put her back together again. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So tell me more about like what it was for you. How, how did you make that shift? What happened such that you kind of got to that point where you're like, I got to look for answers elsewhere. Yeah, it was completely um, unexpected. I actually moved in 2008 to the country. So I had lived in this area where I currently live and moved away when I was 18 and said, I'm never coming back. And then I lived in the suburbs of New York city, had a great time, did all my training. And then I had kids. So when I had my twins, so I didn't have one, I had two. I actually, we realized that, you know, city living was just, it wasn't for us anymore. So we moved, my husband and I moved back to the country, back where I came from. And of course, what do you do when you move to the country and you're the daughter of a dairy farmer who didn't let you get a horse at the age of seven, you get that horse at the age of 40. So I I got a horse. I rescued like every animal in my life. I rescue them and I rescued a horse and he was a beautiful, fast racehorse. (laughs) 
And in 2012, I actually fell off that horse. So up until this point, you know, I thought I was living the best life. I had a really great OBGYN job at a hospital. That's a block over from where I live currently had my kids, you know, life was good. I got my horse. And then, like I said, fell off that horse and broke my back. Mm. And that's always where I say my story begins because it kind of was like this routine life up until then. And so what happened is over the next couple of years, I chased some weird symptoms. You know, I actually, I was Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall that couldn't be put back together again, because the injury in my back were in such a place that the bones couldn't, could not be surgically. It was inoperable. Essentially. I had to just live with broken bones in my back. And so that took me out of work completely for about six months. And then when I returned, my scope of practice was limited. I could no longer deliver. I could no longer operate. So, you know, there was that part of me that was the purpose was lacking. You know, I'd go to work. I'm like, I'm just not changing women's lives. I trained, I gave up half my life to train And now I can't even do what I've really set out to do as a career. Not only that, I was chasing a lot of weird medical symptoms. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I was really low energy all day, unmotivated cravings, weight gain, low libido, all of the things and really lacked self-confidence and and self-esteem. And everything that I stood for was like going out the window. And so I went to my doctor because I got to a point one night where I told my husband, I can't go living, I'm living like this. This is just not life. And, you know, again, I had no purpose in my career. I felt like I was flunking at motherhood of their mommy was doing this laying on the couch all day. And I just didn't feel good. And so I went to my doctor and I kind of knew what she was going to say, because I was in this conventional world. Like you had to shove me in a box and put a label on me and then give me a drug. And that's exactly what happened. I was shoved in the depression box uh, and thrown an antidepressant on. And, um, it was interesting because I remember when I got that diagnosis, I, I knew what the diagnosis was going to be. I, I didn't even, I was like, where else am I going to fit? Right. But I remember saying to her, I just don't feel like this is what depressions should feel like. I feel like I should be sad. And of course I was appropriately upset with the change of my life and like the direction of my life, but I didn't, I didn't cry every day. I didn't feel sad. And I just, I didn't even know what else to do myself. So I was like, okay, just give me the medication and just let's, let's get on with this because I need to feel better. And what happened is over the next three months, cause that's usually the duration they give you to try a medication out. I actually had all the side effects of the medication and I still had my other symptoms. So I was like yeah. double whammied. Yeah. So what happened is I went back for a follow-up and at this point I was really questioning the diagnosis, but again, I didn't know what else it could be. So she said, well, I think we got the wrong medication, not the wrong diagnosis, the wrong medication. So we tried a different, a second medication. And at this point, about a month or two after starting it again, having all the same thing, same, all my symptoms and the side effects, I was like, this is wrong. This is, there's something wrong. This is not right. And, you know, really at this point in my life, I just felt helpless and hopeless. Like here I was a medical professional surrounded by medical people and they couldn't help me. They were just kind of like throwing their arms up going, we don't know what else to do for you. And at this point I felt hopeless of ever feeling like myself again. And so I was probably as low as I could go. And in my mind right now, I'm thinking I've exhausted all medical options. And now I'm just going to have to live with not only back pain, chronic back pain, but also all of these other symptoms. 
So at this time, I don't know how it happened. I'll, actually, I do know I was selling skincare because that was something fun for me to do. <laughs> Gave me purpose in life. So I was yeah. like into the direct selling world. Again, just purely for some joy in my life. And this woman was an anti-aging doctor, ironically, out of Rochester, New York. And so we got on the phone one evening and, you know, she's like, oh, I'm not interested in your skincare, but tell me about you and what's going on with, with you. And I say this because I actually had settled into bed with my computer on my lap and my phone. I'm talking to her and it's around eight o'clock at night. And my husband at this point goes into the shower. You know, he, he just hears me getting on the phone with this doctor. So I tell her everything that's going on with me. And she said, you know, Renee, I don't think it's depression. I think you have adrenal fatigue is what we used to call it. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? So of course I'm fervently Googling everything right there. You're like, what is this? Like, what is this? I'm like, boom, like, wow. Like this is exactly how I feel. And, you know, there was a lot of emotions and a lot of aha moments in this conversation, because first of all, I was like, wait a second, I'm highly educated. And I don't know about this. Number one, how is that possible? And, you know, I delved into that later, but right now she knows she's like, don't worry, we'll do the appropriate testing to make sure that's what it is. But that's what it sounds like. You're going to have to, you know, make some lifestyle changes, strategic supplementation, this and that, but you will feel better. And she goes, it won't happen overnight, but uh, yeah. you definitely, if you put the work in, you will definitely feel better. And at that moment, this woman I hadn't even met in person helped me. And she gave me hope back that I actually was going to feel better. Yeah. Right on the heels of that, she offered me a job. <laughs> In functional medicine. And I didn't even know what functional medicine was because when I get on the phone with her, I'm like, I don't know what you do, but like no one else is helping me. So what do you got? Right. Right. So I Googled functional medicine and it's like this light bulb, like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to change lives moving forward. This is my new purpose. And, you know, partly because she looked at things from a different way. And I knew like, gosh, I'm a quick learner. <laughs> so I realized this, that she looks at things differently. And if she can do that just in a phone call, of like, I think this is going on like, wow. So we hung up and I actually accepted a job with her. Hadn't even met her, but she wanted to set up an office about an hour from where I live about two and a half hours from Rochester. And so she hung up the phone and my husband comes out of the shower. I said, Oh my gosh, you'll never believe this. I don't have depression, but I think I have this condition called adrenal fatigue. I have to do this, this, this to get started, but I'm going to get testing done and making sure this is it. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving the hospital and I'm going to do a fellowship in functional medicine yeah. and I'm joining this woman in practice in September. And he goes, how long was I in the bathroom for? What just happened? <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly. interesting because this is, you know, as a doc, you're not trained to use your gut feeling that intuition. Right. And yeah. this was the first time in my life that I went with my gut, like there was so much yes that night. Like, oh my gosh, yes, this is what my ha I yeah, have. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, this is the next career path. Yes, you are the person I'm going to work with. And from then on, I, I I've always listened to my my gut feeling, that intuition um, that's been suppressed for so many years. And I have to say, it's never led me in the wrong direction because here I am today doing functional medicine just because of my own personal like search for answers. Yeah. Uh, and desperation to find the answers and just finding a better way of, of healing our bodies a way that again, I I'm still to this day, like, how did I not know about this? But we are really, when we're educated in medical school, we're really educated on making a diagnosis, following like a algorithm and using the appropriate medications. And again, never really questioning the diagnosis. So, yeah, it's uh it's an interesting space. And I, you know, I've spent 
20 years on the other side of it, you know, and I have client after client who comes to me. And I mean, there's aspects of your story that I've just, I've heard it a hundred times of like, and then I got to a point where I knew something wasn't right. Nothing was actually better. Things were different. Some things were worse. And everyone I went to said, we have no answers for you. There's nowhere else to go. And that's commonly the point when people come to ask me. And it's, you know, I have this podcast, I have a website, there are ways to find me, but at the same time, mostly it's somebody knew me Mm -hmm. and then they refer me. And then we have a phone call and I have that phone call and I get to say, your body's not broken. Mm -hmm. We can heal this. There's worlds of other ways to think about it. And like the way I define it, when I talk about my practice is I'm an expert in physiology versus being an expert in pathology. Mm -hmm. I study how the body works. And I'm looking for, well, what is your body not doing that if it were doing that, this wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's the same information that medical doctors work with. It's like the inverse. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're looking at it from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how much there can be criticism on natural medicine or functional medicine about the tools we use, but we have hundreds of thousands of tools to use in areas where we can really work on the nuances of each individual person, you know, cause even adrenal fatigue, which we now talk about HPA axis dysfunction, yeah. which is kind of a mouthful for laymen to kind of wrap their head around, but it's trying to define the brain hormone connection and how it's not so much that the adrenals are not working at all. They're dysregulated. They're not working in proper synchronicity with your body, usually because of a lot of stress, which just, you didn't even need the horse situation to actually cause that medical school alone, becoming a physician, what it takes. And I actually see it all over the place. And I've had moments of being like, there's a, there's a big part of my heart that actually wants to specialize in only treating physicians because it's like, I've had this concept that I truly believe that if, if doctors themselves had autonomy and empowerment about their own medicine, even if they never practiced anything in functional medicine, just having that experience alone would make a huge difference. And that, that gut feeling and that intuition, but it's really hard because we've so much standardization in conventional medicine. And there's aspects of that that's good and creates safety for patients and and reliability and ways to research and ways to be able like you know, I read the book black box thinking from, you know, 2015, that goes into a lot of comparisons between the checklists and the safety precautions that happen in the airline industry and what's not there in conventional medicine. It's kind of comparing apples to a rabbit because like they're completely different systems and there's a lot of differences, but the point was just saying, where are we not learning from our failures and mistakes? And where are we not creating structures to prevent those failures and mistakes from happening? But then the challenge is that puts physicians further down the road of checklists and no longer thinking Mm -hmm. it detaches them even further from that gut feeling. So like heaven help hospital managers and people trying to work out how to create curriculums for conventional medicine, because it's really a tough job for sure. And I have a lot of respect for that, but there's this whole other world of looking at the body through a different lens and how do we how do we actually enhance the body's natural innate ability to heal and restore itself back to functioning? And I'm really glad you for yourself and for your patients have, have discovered that. And I like to think we're more proactive than reactive. I think in medical school, we're trained to be reactive, right? There's not a ton 
you know, I'm constantly defending my doctor friends because I was in that world for over 15 years. I have a husband who's still in that world, although he thinks a lot like me as far as like preventative medicine and being more proactive to our, with our health. But, you know, we are, we, I, I think it's better now, but I honestly think I got about 45 minutes of nutrition counseling in medical school because that's not where it's at. We don't have, you know, and then when I hear people say, no, my doctors didn't talk to me about diet. A couple of things. Number one, we're not educated on diet. Yeah. Uh, look at many physicians. They don't look the healthiest and you're taking advice from them. And number two, um, they don't have time. Yeah. You know, I was in that office where I was not in control of my schedule and I would literally have three people in a 20 minute slot. How do I give quality care to three women in 20 minutes? And I was always that doctor running over because that's, that's who I am. I connect gynecology is very intimate. It's a very intimate field. And I can't have a woman coming in complaining of, you know, issues with her menstrual cycle, or even God forbid coming off a miscarriage and have one hand on the door just because I'm quote unquote running behind, you know, that was just never me, but you know, that's, that's healthcare now. And I feel, I really feel bad for my, my colleagues that are in that world of having to see, you know, not in control of their schedule, not being able to take the appropriate amount of time to educate their patients just because we have to get the patients in and out. Yeah. You know, no, and one complaint at a time. I remember when I was in the, in that world, you know, a woman would come in once a year with a laundry list of complaints. Right. And I can only address one. Like, that's how I was like, you can only take care of one problem. Cause that's all you can bill for. And that's all you have time for. And I felt bad. Cause I'm like, she's got all these other things. What am I supposed to say? Come back and we'll talk about yeah. you know, how we yeah. prioritize what's most important. And it's really sad that that's, that's what has to happen. And yeah. So, you know, it's always, it's always a lack of education in that we really don't know. I see docs now talking more about nutrition, which is great. I do think they've upped nutrition education in medical schools, which is great, but all those docs that are my age, uh, and yeah. older, if we didn't learn it on our own, and I've done a ton of learning on my own because I didn't learn it in yeah. back then, you know, yeah. so my fellowship training and then some just because I love to learn. I love to figure out how the body works with different foods and really, really use food as medicine first and foremost. It's massive. Yeah. I talk about it. Like the, it's the foundation that you pour before you build the house on top of it. And you know, it's not the whole house. I I get a lot of people who've done a ton of work in nutrition on themselves and with other people. And they're like, it's not working. And it's because it isn't the whole house. You, there, there's actual organ system restoration that might have to happen. And there may be other object failures or toxic, you know, toxicities in the way of being able to balance the body. But if you don't, and I have a little bit of this criticism with some of my colleagues on the naturopathic and functional medicine side, where they're like, ah, oh, diet's too complicated. So I don't go there. I don't have time for that. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> I'm like, you can't, how can you, you know, like you just, I can't build the house without it. I need that solid foundation in, and then a lot can happen. And I've actually had, you know, I get people who've done a lot of that and they've been on really strict diets for a long time. And they've sort of gotten, you know, they got something out of it in the beginning and they hit a law of diminishing returns. And, and I sometimes get those phone calls where I'm actually giving people permission to like eat a bagel. (laughs) It's okay. You can put some of these things back into your life. That's not the cause. It might need to mitigate inflammation in a particular way, but that's not actually like, I actually, Dr. Tanda Cook, who she and I were very close friends all through medical school. We started our practice together and she's off gone into awesome directions of, of working a lot with nutrition and gut health. 
And she's one part doctor, one part farmer. She actually bought 40 acres outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and has been a horsewoman her whole life. And she has goats and chickens and like, she literally connects people back to the earth. But she would always say to me, because when the beginning, when I was shifting my diet, you know, and I'd be like, oh, I must have this because I didn't eat perfect. And I just use it to whip myself with and beat myself up. She's like, Sarah, it's yeah, but it's not about the food. Not ultimately there's something deeper underneath that, whether it's in the psychology side or my relationship to myself or, and so, yeah, it's, but it's integral conversation, whether we're talking about the emotional eating or we're talking about what you're eating, <laughs> it's still super important. Super so let's important. connect this then. What does this all have to do with libido? Well, it's very interesting. So my evolution with libido is very interesting also, including all my pivoting, but, uh, you know, for 15 plus years as an OBGYN seeing patients in the clinic and all the different offices I worked throughout, you know, Connecticut and New York, it was really interesting when a woman would come in and into my OBGYN office and say, doc, I don't have a libido. And these, I would just cringe because here's the reality. There's not a ton of studies being done on women out there with low libido. Okay. First of all, not a lot of studies being done on women, period. We are really hard to control. We cycle, we have lots of different hormones. Men are much easier to control. So there's that, but when, when it comes to libido, forget about it, you know? And, and it, and so back then I had very few, I think there was one hormone replacement, (laughs) And so you had to be menopausal for me to use it. Cause it was a hormone replacement. It was only estrogen, but it had a, like an estrogen and testosterone in it. And I remember that was all I had in my tool belt. Like, I'm like, okay, take this, you know? And yeah. if she was premenopausal, forget about it. I don't even know what to say. And, uh, and now in retrospect, I was like, wow, I was really killing their livers because this testosterone orally and estrogen orally. Wow. Like we're really, I'm just, I don't even think that's on the market anymore. Yeah. But, you know, and back then there wasn't a ton of evidence, you know, as far as testosterone in women and, you know, is it, is it safe? Is it not safe? Must be there's one hormone replacement. Right. So then when I left, unfortunately, I didn't have many women complaining of low libido because they would complain again, one complaint at a time. Right. So like they would use their one time to come in and talk about irregular periods or whatever the case may be. So then I went into functional medicine and what happened is when I was in my office with functional medicine, I would actually start asking women about their libido because now I'm intrigued. Now I'm like, Oh, I don't necessarily need the studies. I can put the puzzle pieces together and we can figure this out. And my feeling with low libido is it's just another symptom. We talk about low energy. We talk about constipation. We talk about, you know, weight gain, acne breakouts. Yeah. I do think again, pecking order, just low libido is just another symptom that there's something else going on. And so I actually started asking women about their libido. And then, and again, a lot of women for a little short time there for four years, when I was in my brick and mortar, I actually did see men as well. And it's really interesting when, you know, women came in and men came in what they were complaining about. I would say almost hundred percent of the men coming through my door would come in because of some sexual desire issue. And when I questioned them, it was always, you know, oh yeah, I've had low energy for over a year. I've been crying, losing muscle mass, gaining weight. Oh, so what brought you in today? Well, I, I don't want to have sex. And I was like, but you've been feeling all these other things, but that as soon as it hit the bedroom for men, like, like help me fix me now. Right. Versus women that would come in and they're always like no low energy, like all these other complaints, And then bringing up libido. Yeah. I I haven't had it in a while, but it wasn't like a forefront of their mind. Right. 
And they were astonished that I was asking such questions, but you know, it's interesting too, of working on different areas of their health, how their libido improved or with, when we specifically kind of brought it to light as something they wanted to work on some of the things that we would actually do. And what I found in my four years of a brick and mortar is it wasn't always testosterone because I think we're all conditioned to think we're little men we're not my friend, Dr. Stephanie Estima, we're not little men. She always says that, like she says it in her book, you know, we may have some testosterone in our body and we're more sensitive to it, even though we don't have as much, but that's not what makes our libido. And I, you know, and I agree. And I actually had to test it out myself because I would have a lot of patients coming in saying, just give me testosterone and fix it. And it's interesting that we would, and it wouldn't quote unquote fix it. And so, you know, this is really where it got me thinking like, okay, I have more tools in my tool belt, as far as like what other things could be going on. And I'm now seeing with my eyes that it's not always a testosterone issue. And I did a lot of hormonal testing for those four years. And I would find women with the best testosterone levels had the worst libidos and vice versa. Women with really low testosterone levels would have amazing libidos. And I actually, to this day, have a lot of postmenopausal women I don't know, a switch comes on when they hit menopause and all of a sudden they have this amazing libido. And, you know, at a time where our hormones, our female hormones are testosterone are supposed to be lowest, yeah. right? Yeah. So like it, it goes to show you, and this is really when I started asking questions, like it's more than just hormone, like one hormone, right? Yeah. And so I actually brought it to light a year ago because during this pandemic, the online health space, holistic health space, at least got really noisy. A lot of people talking about immune system and gut health and all the things. And I pull back and I'm like, first of all, I just don't want to be another like chatterbox online. Right. But number two, what are we talking about? That's still an issue for women out there. And that, I mean, women just aren't talking about, cause they think it's quote unquote normal and that's libido. And that's sort of where I came out about a year ago and just said, you know what, I'm going to help women with all those other things too, because that's what goes into good health. But if I could restore her libido while working on all these other things done. Right. Right. And so I've been on this mission for the past year of squelching myths about, you know, the fact that it leaves when you go into menopause or perimenopause or having kids or, you know, and, and that it's quote unquote normal. And I'm finding that the more we talk about this, the more it's kind of like the me too movement, you know, like, Oh, me too. I not feel oh me too. You're, you mean you're like me. We're both have no libido. Oh my gosh. And this community of women coming together to try to figure out why, because, you know, I never want my, my clients or any woman out there to feel broken or you can't be, you know, that you need to be quote unquote fixed because you're not broken. Right. There's just something that's gone awry and chances are you are having other symptoms too. And gosh, if we get to the root cause of that, imagine how amazing you could feel and have an incredible libido. And I think what really tugs on my heartstrings is when I see relationships starting to dissipate because of the fact that the woman doesn't have yeah. a libido. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually where I get the desperate women coming saying, just give me testosterone. And I'm like, mm, you know, again, we're more complex than that. So yeah. So what are some of those things that you found beyond testosterone that are like key places for people to look or investigate? Yeah. Well, you know, I have this little roadmap that I feel like is continuing to evolve because, uh-huh. right. I mean, it's just always these little pieces. And, and again, it's like this little web of, of interrelated topics, but I think the three top for women that I'm finding number one mindset and what doctor talks about mindset, none, but I think this one is because again, how we, how you feel about yourself, how you talk to yourself, you know, do you wake up and 
I think it's like 80% of our thoughts throughout the day are negative self thoughts. Like you're beating yourself up all day. Of course, you're not going to feel good about yourself and want to get naked in the bedroom, you know, in front of your significant other. So, you know, there's a huge work on mindset and then that kind of trickles into like relationship slash communication, because I do think there's this huge breakdown in and out of the bedroom of communication of what women want. Again, I mean, again, day-to-day kids work. I mean, there's been a ton that has been poured onto women, men as well, but women over the past year plus year and a half. Yeah. No, I was in it. I had two kids that are virtually schooling teenagers. You know, I'm trying to run my business, run the house, navigate, you know, all the stuff. It was, it was difficult. And a husband who was missing for a couple months because of his, his responsibilities at the hospital. So I was really by myself doing it all. And you know, I found that if I didn't ask for where I needed help, because I am a self-proclaimed superwoman. Like I like to think I'm a superwoman. I can do it all. But when I find myself like falling into bed at night, because I didn't ask where anyone else could help me, I maybe got a trophy in my own mind, but I was exhausted and resentful because I was doing it all. Yeah. So I found that when I started communicating with my kids, where they could yeah. help with my husband, you know, as opposed to to him, you know, a lot of women say, well, he comes in and I've been done, you know, grocery shopping and making meals and doing things with the kids and trying to work my business. And he walks in and pops on the couch with his phone and doesn't help. But as I'm making dinner, I'm like, well, did you ask him? Cause they're not mind readers. Nobody in our life. We'd like to think they are, we'd like yeah. to think they can look in our head, but they're not, you know, we need to we need to ask for what we want, whether it be again, around the house, maybe helping the kids with homework or if you have little ones, giving the kids a bath. Oh gosh, God forbid you get a couple minutes off your feet to go read a book or something. You know, that self-care has gone out the window. And I find that it leaves that breakdown of communication leaves a lot of women feeling frustrated, angry, resentful. And of course, feelings like that are not going to make you feel close to your significant other, your spouse and want to. Yeah. And it leads to a big experience. I think a lot of my clients deal with of sex as obligation, and then it just becomes one more thing on the to-do list, which doesn't really work for most male partners either, or for partners period, where they're like that they want you to want to have sex with them, but they also want to have sex. And so it's this like, you know, and, or they don't, I mean that there's all sorts of other, you know, dynamics that are going on, but yeah, this, this relationship and communication and, and being able to start to, you know, there was a woman that she's done a lot of work around relationships, Alison Armstrong, and she, her whole thing, she came from this place of like, I didn't get men. So I started studying them and she has this amazing set of workshops and material around understanding, you know, and it's, it's, way beyond and the depths of, and nothing wrong with this, but like the men are from Mars, women are for Venus, but like, she really does get into a lot of the differences in the way we look at the world differently and expressing things. And there was one line in a workshop. I can't even remember specifically what the rest of the context was, but she said something that just, I didn't even think of, and I'm a woman. And when I got this, it made a huge difference for me as one starting point is I do not want to have sex. I don't have any interest in it unless I'm fed warm and not like, and full of energy, you know, or at least not exhausted. Right. And so if I've slept, if I've got, you know, reserves in the tank and I am not hungry and I am not freezing cold and the dating world kind of throws us off because at the beginning when we're dating or we're in the early on, it's one o'clock in the morning and it's the end of a long day and we don't care and whatever and all of that. But then we get into daily life and marriage and long-term committed relationships 
those circumstances often change and we tend to blame like, oh, this is just what happens in the relationships, but we stop tending to some of those things. And that's a very simple place to start. But that alone, even as I've shared that with men, this light bulb goes off of like, I can do something about those three things. I can encourage her. I can make a difference. I can check in on those three things. And that alone has started to open that up. There's another tool I just want to put in here that um, is in this world. And I love that I'm like expecting a conversation about hormones. And you were like, let's talk about mindset and communication first. And that's that part of functional medicine and holistic medicine, which is it's all of it. It's your relationships. It's your relationship to yourself. It's your communication. It's taking care of yourself. And part of that is the food you eat and targeted supplements and like, but it's this bigger context. So I love that. The other thing that Allison would talk a lot about, and I find this actually to be true with both sexes, with men and women and, and, and in the world today, I don't want to pigeon this about a male, female conversation that gender is about it. It's, it's just in relationships and whatever those relationship dynamics are, but that there's often the female or predominant female person has this concept, but they just need to empty their basket. They just need to be able to speak and have it heard, not acted on. And she actually has this as a tool and she calls it emptying the basket and literally is like the guy holds out the garbage can and she just kind of gets to vomit into it. And one of the key things at the beginning of that is to tell the man or the partner who's holding the basket to say, I don't need you to remember any of this and I don't need you to fix any of this. I literally just need you to listen and hold the basket. And I, at the end will work myself out. And if I have a specific request, I'll make it. And then they can calm down and be like, okay, I can just be with this. Cause otherwise their brains kick in on wanting to fix and alter everything. And that one action alone in couples that have started to take that on. When I talk to my clients about it, that'll reignite libido because there's just this freedom and this sense of being gotten. And it also generates intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. Yes. So much. I do. It's so funny. You said that. Cause I often say to my husband, because I recognize this early in our relationship that they men are fixers. They just want to fix it. They don't want to see you in pain. They want, you know, to bring you pleasure, whatever that looks like. And there'll be times and I'll, and I'll now say to my husband, I don't want to fix this. You don't just listen, just let me vent. Right. And I've actually, I have a 14 year old daughter and I'll say the same to him, to her. Like, I was like, just let her talk. Don't try to fix it. She doesn't want it to be fixed. She just wants to talk. And it's really interesting how our brains are even different than men's, you know, like, and our emotional part of our brains bigger and like how we read, like, just like tone and voice or like visually, we like, we are much more connected to a person's body language versus men. So it's really just, it comes down to a biological, like size of our brain, like parts of our brain. I mean, it's not that men don't want to communicate or that they don't care what you, but they just aren't as in tune to all of those cues that again, we might be trying to give them with our facial expressions. They're just not seeing it because that's not part of their biology. So it's really interesting. The other thing I want to comment on, cause it brought it to light is the fact that when you're in a new relationship, you're always hugging and touching, which increases a, a hormone. Speaking of hormones called oxytocin, which is essentially our connection hormone, our love hormone. And, you know, you find that as relationships go on and you're not hugging and kissing and touching as much or, or even having sex, like that connection is starting to get the physical connection is starting to get lost. And that's where 
I don't say love is lost because, you know, but again, that it's a huge source of connection. I mean, there's other ways to stimulate yeah. your oxytocin, you know, making meals with loved ones and petting your dog or what have you. But, but tending like- to that space period is really important. And really important. it changed a lot during the pandemic because our interactions with other people changed our interactions with ourselves and our partners changed, shifted. And for some people, they actually found a lot of things got reignited because the world forced them to spend so much more time together and some of that, but then like for you, you know, your husband was literally gone for months at a time because of the circumstances. And so people went through all sorts of different shifts and changes in this last year and a half around it too. Well, and I think because the kids were always around mom and dad, I mean, they can't go out to dinner for their date night. They can't Good even point. Say, oh, yeah. because the kids you can't have a babysitter come or them go to a house because of everything. So like we were never alone with our spouses. There was never a quiet time. There was never getting a babysitter, you know? And I think again, like anything, a lot of couples have fallen into that habit, even though things are loosening up and people are going out, it's off the schedule now, right? right. It's off. And we filled, and it's really interesting when the pandemic began, I kind of was like, okay, this is nice. Like I'm not going to the store, like every day, seven days a week, I'm really limiting it. And I just felt like in the initial parts of it, there was more time in the day. Cause you weren't, you, you cut out all the unnecessary activity, Yeah, but I find myself and others have filled it with other things, right. To, you know, stay busy. And, you know, and again, those things like having date nights with our spouses or significant others are again, not back on the schedule yet. And including self-care, like a lot of women have lost themselves over the past year again, cause we've yeah. filled it in with we know we became can't. the teachers as well as everything else Correct. for a lot of yeah. families. And, you yeah. know, self-care doesn't always have to look like manicures, pedicures, but maybe that's was the, some women's choice. And now that was all taken away. So now they have no, like none of that. Plus not doing anything. The self-care I like to talk about is like reading a book or exercise or taking a walk in nature or something that's just more restorative. But women I'm talking to now are like, they don't even know what they enjoy anymore because they've completely lost themselves over the past, definitely over the past year. Plus I've been giving my clients is just a place to start a lot is about going outside. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because I would tell them to do this. And even I was kind of like, I don't know if I I mean, how much of a difference is that really, you know, but like, okay, it's a place to start, you know, Oh my gosh, it's been making a huge difference. And that there is so much about getting a, you know, I experienced it personally and I haven't shared this with you, but my, my listeners all know about this last, so last year, my health crashed and I went into a period of chronic fatigue syndrome and my viral titers all went up and I had anemia for no actual good reason because everything else had been the same, but it was actually coming from the infections were kind of eating up my extra iron stores and, and like just a whole bunch of things crashed. And as a repercussion of that, my screen time actually went up. Cause I like, I couldn't read books. It was, it was too demanding on my brain, but I couldn't just sleep 16 hours a day. I'd sleep nine and I was only working about four or five hours a day. And I spent a lot of time. I mean, I joke that I almost finished Netflix. Like I was like this ridiculous thing. And there was a point where I was getting better and I actually noticed that screens were depleting my energy. I could like feel a draining happening. And I have, I'm I'm a hippie, naturopathic, natural nut. Like I didn't think I would ever end up in a time of my life where I was spending 14 hours a day with a computer or television or phone in front of my face. But that's what it actually started to happen between work, the way I relate to the world 
everything. I was already online and just the rest of my life became completely. And then it was like social time was online and zoom meetings with friends and like everything was in front of a screen. And a big turning point for me was last summer when I went and spent nine days outdoors, completely unplugged from technology. And I'm dumbfounded how restorative that was. Like, I'm just amazed. And it's become something. And I actually was just in New York city last week in kind of deep in Brooklyn. And I didn't have the ability to be outdoors or in places that were very restorative, what I'm used to restorative. And I was like, I couldn't believe the shift. Like, and now I'm home again, back with my green spaces. And so I just underscore, you know, I've had clients where they're like, I don't even know if I can go for a walk in the morning. I'm like, just go take your morning cup of coffee outside. Just go sit on a bench outside, go actually put your feet in the grass and just be even for five minutes. And I have one client who she actually put up a hammock in her backyard and started spending a couple hours on the weekends reading a book. And, and this is mother of many. And, you know, she runs a financial office and she is a busy, busy woman taking care of the people in her life. And she's like that one treatment alone. And she's just like, I'm so grateful that you came into my life to even remind me of those kinds of things. And I have to remind myself how important some of those simple things actually can be for our nervous system. Like they help us ground and reset our parasympathetic and sympathetic balance, which goes back to cortisol, which goes back to hormones. And we, you know, the whole cycle again. Yeah. And, you know, like we were saying, you know, the mindset relationships, even like these kind these little tiny habits of getting outside, like it's a work in progress, especially if you're not used to it, you know, and it's so easy to slip back down to, okay, staying inside, especially since we live in cold weather climates, like, you know, and not getting outside even for that cold winter walk, but it's, it really is, especially in the morning, you know, set, reset your cortisol and your circadian rhythm and all the things it's just very restorative first thing in the morning. You know, you don't even need the cup of coffee, just go out in some sunshine. So then from the more medical standpoint, like where do you go with your clients around looking at libido? Cause I think this podcast is really awesome because I do think a lot of women just won't bring it up or they don't look there. It's yeah. sort of like way down the list. I often refer to libido as the canary in the coal mine. And if we think just from straight biology, libido leads to sex, leads to pregnancy, leads to babies. And if we are at all fatigued, overwhelmed, or dealing with life, of course, that would be the thing to come off the table. Like, like no part of our biology wants to risk getting pregnant in the midst of all of that stress. And so it downregulates that. But I am aware that I don't even directly work on libido, although I do talk about it in my very first plan session. It's on the list of indicators of when we're looking at how do you know functional medicine is working? How do you know what to measure if we can't necessarily see a pathological change on your lab test. Cause some people come in and their labs are relatively normal and they still don't feel normal. So what are we tracking? And one of the things I have them pay attention to is their libido. And we do talk about it there, but not nearly as much as you do. So I'm super curious, like what are some of those things that you see on more of the functional medicine, biological, physiologic side? A hundred percent effects of chronic stress. So cortisol issues like I had, and I always, I kind of make it, I always say adrenal dysfunction as opposed to HPA, like just try to make it easier. Even though I do think adrenal fatigue is a really great, like descriptive term because yeah. you kind of get tired from the chronic stress. And I'm not, I never say stress is a bad thing. It's just the chronic stress is not great. You know, acute stressors getting up and having to do a talk or, you know, like taking a test. Those are healthy stressors but it's just those against negative thoughts or maybe worrying about finances or the kids or, 
whatever the case may be. And I find almost with a hundred, actually hundred percent of my clients I work with, that's like the number three underlying. So stress and the effects of cortisol, which we know can throw a lot of other hormones out of balance, your insulin, which is the hormone that puts sugar away. So you have a lot of extra circulating sugar in your blood, which is going to wreak havoc on so many other organ systems, including your gut. And then, you know, as far as, and this is what I loved about the fact when I went into functional medicine is that we know this beautiful hormonal cascade that all starts with cortisol and ends in such thing. Oh, it starts with cholesterol ends in cortisol and, and estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. Right. I had to memorize that as a OBGYN resident. Yep. I hated it. Right. Cause I had to know all the enzymes and uh-huh. now I love it because it says it tells such a story because, you know, essentially if you're stealing a lot of the precursors for some of the other hormones like testosterone and estrogen to make cortisol hormonal imbalance. The other thing is cortisol and and chronic stress can actually cause a thyroid. Just like you were saying, like, if you're always in that sympathetic, that go, go, like the running from the tiger mode, certain things in your body are not going to function appropriately. Not going to poop. You can't poop when you're running from a tiger, right? So you're not constipated. You're uh, not going to have a period. Yep. Or at least a regular period because your body's like, now is not that time to have a baby. And you're not, your metabolism is going to be slowed down because you're preparing for like hibernation mode. Like you're preparing, like, okay, we got to conserve because we might be dying. Yeah. And so your thyroid and there's this beautiful blood test you can get, which most docs don't get. It's called a reverse T3 that really can show you when the breaks of your body are on usually from, from a stressful, whether it be a physical stress or like a chronic, I've seen this in some of my former cancer patients or just really severe emotional stress. And it's, kind of frustrating for my former patients. They're like, give me a pill for it. I'm like, there's no pill for it. It's like, you got to do the work for, you know, working on your stress and the cortisol and actually bringing up your parasympathetic, which is your relaxation part of your nervous system more, more times than your sympathetic, like having a nice little balance between the two, because we are all in sympathetic overdrive because of all the stressors. And again, it's even more so over the past year. So it trickled, it can trickle down to multiple hormone imbalances. So, you know, it's interesting as women, I think we always talk about hormone imbalance. We always just think it's the female hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and they do play a huge role, but there's other things that actually can, can play. So one of my favorite analogies for this is, is just to try and kind of paint the picture of what it's like for your body is that I talk about it like old school, where there's like a, um, carriage or a cart and a driver and a horse. And so you've got the horse out front you've got the carriage with the wheels and, and everything put together. And then you've got the driver on top and the driver predominantly is the adrenal glands with cortisol and the adrenal glands are like, we've got things to do. We got to go. We've got to handle all of this. We got to get the kids to school. We got to handle this. And then we're going to also get our PhD on the side and we're going to do da, 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 like all of it. And they're whipping the horse, the thyroid. And the thyroid's like, okay, it'll go for a while. But there's a point where the horse is like, no it just stops and it'll start to slow the whole thing down. And then I refer to the cart as the ovaries with the estrogen and progesterone who mostly just get dragged along for the ride by the adrenals and the thyroids. Mm -hmm. And what happens though, is, is that in a lot of people's perspective, and I think when, you know, hormone balancing started to come out and there was conversations about just supplemental estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they were like, you know, there were aspects of that that was empowerment, just like contraception for women. Like, I don't have to be a slave to this. I actually can do something about it. But then we started to discover 
if the only thing you ever do is keep replacing the wheels in the cart and replacing the wheels in the cart, and replacing the wheels in the cart, you're going to have to do that forever. If you don't deal with the driver up there causing a lot of the problems and the thyroid getting dragged along. And even my clients who come in with primary thyroid issues, I find they're not really that primary. It's mm-hmm. actually in relationship to these other components. Then you get into, which I'm sure you do. Well, what actually stresses the adrenal glands out? And for sure, our stress in our lifestyle, unfulfilled dreams will stress the adrenals out. Not speaking our truth will stress the adrenals out. Gut imbalances and chronic infections that are hiding in the body, unregulated herpes for some people or other viral infections that they just haven't gotten strength in their immune system to keep tabs on, keep flaring up. That's a sign. If you get warts, if you get chronic fungal infections, if you have recurrent outbreaks of herpes, which lots of people have, and that's not, that's not the problem. It's this, these are all warning signs. I had a professor professor in school who said he never treats warts because it would be like putting black tape on the gaslight in your car. The wart is actually telling you there's underlying immune system issues. And if you strengthen the immune system, the body will just put that virus back in check and into latency. And so like just scraping it off or continually burning it off on the outside of the body. And Mm -hmm. and I hardly ever had an issue. And I got two little weird warts on my forearm in the middle of medical school. And I was like, what the heck? But it was totally because of stress and like where my life was at. And so worked on my immune system and rebuilt things. And then that made the difference there. And so you know, it is all related. And then being able to work with a functional medicine practitioner like yourself, and I'm just super grateful for you. I, I, every voice matters. And like, I'm super passionate about naturopathic medicine and there's somewhere around 6,000 of us in the United States. And there's 1.4 million MDs and 3.5 million nurses who are amazing human beings with a huge amount of commitment that they're willing to devote their lives in the sometimes decade or more of training that goes into becoming those practitioners. And so to have you be willing to be a pioneer and to speak out and to come through. And I just know so many people are more comfortable with someone who has the background of the medical practitioner, but also is going to think this way. And it makes a difference for more, more doctors that know you go, wait a minute, Okay, Renee, tell me more about this. All right, I'm willing to listen. And so I just am super grateful for the work you've done and the willingness to, to make that step. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was scary, but it was one of those things that was a no-brainer seven years ago. And I, you know, I live in a community where there's 250 employed physicians at a at the institution a block over and doing conventional medicine. And I was that weird doctor that left that secure job to go into the unknown world of what do you call it? What's that thing that voodoo you do? And, you know, it's interesting because even to this day, I'll go to parties with my husband and and new colleagues of his will ask me what I do. And they don't even know if, you know, now I, I, seven years later, I'm like, everyone has to know what this is, but still, I'm still educating people on, you know, what it is I do. And there are a few that are coming up behind me that when they see me, they're like, Oh, tell me how you did it. Cause I want to do exactly what you're doing. And it is great. You know, there's no competition We're we're, I don't, I have an online business. There's no more brick and mortar for me, but like, there's so many people in this world that can benefit from what we do that. I just link arms with every single person doing it and say, okay, you know, we all have our little niches of like what we'd like to talk about, but as a collective, we're, we're changing the world. And it's interesting back when I had my brick and mortar, people are like, well, is this going to be the standard of care in the future? And I was like, I don't know if I'll ever see it in my lifetime, but I do think we're waking a lot more people up 
to, you know, especially the pandemic of just your immune system and eating well, because that's another huge part of libido is nutrition that feeds into hormone imbalance. And like, you know, like we said before, you get in toxins, like there's so much. And I think just the education and empowering people just to put it on their radar that there is so much in our control that we can change. We don't necessarily need that little pill to put a bandaid on it because again, it's not going to go away unless we really figure out the why. Yeah, totally. Oh, this is so good. Thank you so much for being here and contributing your knowledge, your wisdom, your passion. It's just, this is warms my heart in many ways. And, and this is the, this conversation in particular is a fulfillment of something that I said back in 2013 for the first time of like, I really want to be a part of bridging the gap between naturopathic medicine and conventional medicine and, and, and functional medicine is right in the middle of those two. And I'm super voodoo and voodoo, but not actually. And, and it's interesting to see in quantum mechanics and science is actually just coming right up on the heels of being like, oh yeah, no, actually that's, we can explain now why all this stuff works and how it impacts the systems of the body. And, and, and so it's neat to actually see the science more and more, but will it become the standard of care? God, I would love to say yes, but I, the, the infrastructure would have to completely change. And that's part of it is the delivery of medicine is inside of the paradigm. And, and there's aspects of medicine that are actually in the world of, I mean, I was in medical science for four years in med school. I have an honors in degree in research and I did science, scientific research in my undergraduate as a chemistry major. So for eight years, I spent time in academic research and we love to say that, you know, people will say it to me, oh, well, yeah, but your medicine's not scientifically based. And I was like, that's actually incorrect. And you'd be shocked how much conventional medicine isn't backed by medical research. And it's not to invalidate anything. It's just to bring a reality check to it all. But there's an institution that's now dominating what can even be researched and what medicines can be produced. It's not coming from actually just liberated scientific minds getting to think up great ways to solve problems. They're, most scientists and researchers are not free to study anything. And the conversation that we didn't even have that we could on another podcast is how little female dominated medical issues are studied in the research. And there's cultural reasons for that. And there are, you know, you mentioned that, yeah, we cycle and our hormones make it difficult for us to be a, a control in studies but there's a whole world of components where it was, why bother? We don't need to study those things. Even if people didn't consciously bring that awareness, but as we've been looking down racism and we've been really paying attention to more and more of like how our culture has created these circumstances, there's a whole component of where fibromyalgia and autoimmune diseases, which are predominantly found in women, they just never studied them. And so we don't have a lot of scientific backed information. So we have to be the pioneers in the clinical setting to be able to start to push those boundaries of what's going to make a difference for people until the research catches up, which I don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think a big part too, is validating women and their symptoms. I think I was, the, I was one of those people that thought it was all in my head and that was yeah. crazy because I couldn't be quote unquote, you know, fixed with that pill. And I think the biggest thing that conversation that one evening did for me, aside from giving me hope back is that she validated my symptoms. She was like, no, there is something wrong with you. It's not in your head. Yeah. And I think there's so many women out there that have these symptoms that they're told by the doctor, we don't know what to do. So they just assume it's in, like, okay, so I must be crazy. It must be in my head. And I, we're here to tell you, no, <laughs> if you don't no. feel good, there's something going on and just keep asking questions. And 
I always say you have to be your own advocate for your health and just keep asking questions and keep pushing back until you get the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. So how can people find you? I mean, we'll have your website in the show notes, but just for people who are listening, you have your own podcast. What's that? Yeah. Well, it was called love the leap with Dr. Renee, but we just rebranded to the real heal. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Intimate conversations with holistic health experts. So that first episode of the rebrand will come out next Tuesday. So yes. And hopefully you will be on that. I love to convo conversation And yes, I do have a website, drrenewallenstein.com. I'm all over social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Dr. Renee Wallenstein. Good for you. If I can get free information out there and, you know, get just someone's give someone an aha moment. That's my, my job is done for the day. So awesome. Well, and anybody that's interested in finding out more about that, you can find all of Renee's bio and her links to social media and her website will be in the show notes on my website, sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. And you can get all that information so that we can just keep making that difference. Cause like you said, like it it's, there's just not enough of us actually. So there, we are nowhere near any concern for competition. It's the exact opposite is the more you share and the more I share and the more people that find me and move to you, however it works out, it just doesn't, you know, my favorite line is finding a doctor should be like dating. You want good chemistry and good communication. And it's awesome. I agree. Steal that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you until we get to do it again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Renee Wellenstein, for being bold and outspoken. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.